Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as un, or I'm sorry, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul has just finished this idea. Good morning, Ray. Um, finished this idea of walking not in darkness. You know, we talked about that yesterday, not walking in darkness, but walking in light. And, and he gives us another way. And, uh, you know, he moves now to this this idea of walk, which is actually the seventh walk comment that he has made. And it's really wise, not unwise, is almost a symbol of sanctification. This whole idea of walking that he talks about is, is really the symbol of sanctification, of God working in our lives, changing us, growing us more like his son, you know, that we first walk worthy when we begin to choose the right way. That was one of the ways he talked about it. The second way, he talked about walking in holiness. And we do that as we make decisions to learn, to learn to be more holy. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Pat. We then walk in love as we grow in the understanding of God's love towards us. We walk in the light as God is our light. And then we walk in wisdom that comes from God. It's the Holy Spirit empowered wisdom as he gives us realizations of things, as he points things out to our heart as we're digging and growing in him. I love Proverbs, really Proverbs 1 through 9. If you look at that, those chapters of Proverbs, it talks all about wisdom and how wisdom isn't, it's not always intelligence, right? Sometimes we know people that are extremely intelligent people, but they're not very wise, right? They, they've got a lot of head smart and absolutely no heart smarts, right? They, they don't understand people. They don't understand personalities. They, they just, they don't get it, but they're really super intelligent. But wisdom is not just intelligence, but it's also that belief in God and a relationship with God. That's pure wisdom. Good morning, mom and dad. You know, so as we grow and we understand our Christian life and our experiences uh, with God, that our experience can not exist as just a static event in our life. You know, uh, the, the whole idea of Christianity isn't that we just said a prayer one day and accepted Christ into our life and that's it, that we don't grow. It's not this idea that, well, I was baptized as an infant, so therefore I'm good for the rest of my life. It's not hell insurance. It is to be a continual growth and walk and worthy, to be worthy, walk in a worthy manner, walk in holiness and love and light and wisdom. 2 Timothy 2.7 says we walk in preparation with fullness of the lives and learn to walk in wisdom. And, you know, Paul again starts out with this idea. Good morning, Vicky. Starts out with this negative idea first. You know, he has a way of taking the negative and then putting it on its end to a positive and starts with the negative statement first, reminds us of our former state of 
as children of darkness, children that were unwise, and we must be careful not to fall back to where we once were, to guard carefully. But then the greatest secret that comes out of the Holy Spirit is the positive end, that from the unwise to the wise, we can walk in wisdom with Christ. Um, you know, John, throughout the book of John, John loved this idea of light and wisdom. And throughout the Gospel of John, you see this often, this, this parallel. You know, we speak because we have the light in us of being able to be wise, and the light is Jesus Christ, right? It's the Holy Spirit working in us that makes us wise, grows us in wisdom. You could say, I, I heard it once defined, that wisdom is knowledge properly applied. You know, it's wisdom is the discernment that comes from properly applying the light and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. So when we walk in wisdom, there's a few things we do that we're going to look at today. The first one is when we walk in wisdom, we take advantage of all opportunities. You know, Paul shares that to us right here, right at the beginning, making the best use of time. We take advantage of all opportunities. We redeem the time. We, we have urgency in our words. Colossians 4, 5 takes this and applies it to our time with non-believers, that we are urgent in how we speak. And that doesn't mean that you smack them over the head with gospel all the time, but it's not this, well, we love them until they ask us. It, no, it's, it's speaking the truth in love, gaining relationship with them to where you can tell them why. Tell them why you live the way you do. Because we live in evil days. You know, now when, when Paul writes this, good morning, Mike and Penny. When, when Paul writes this about evil days, because we can apply that right now and, and very easily talk about end times, but Paul's writing to a specific church in a specific time, talking about the evil days they were in. And you think about the evil days that this church was experiencing, they were experiencing the onset of persecution that would happen you know, for a hundred years, persecution, that, that being a Christian was a death sentence at times. It was destruction. The Roman government was coming in and destroying churches because they refused to worship their gods. And so they would destroy churches. How, that's hard for us to understand. We, we want to talk about persecution and the evil days we're in, but yet we don't being a Christian isn't a death sentence. Being a church in America doesn't get our walls torn down like in China right now and other places. We, we sometimes apply the evil days, and yet it's nothing compared to what the early church went through. I think sometimes we don't understand truly the persecution that can take place. Um, the days are evil. Redeem the times. Be urgent in our words. Uh, he uses this idea of time. He talks about time in this passage and, and uses a word. So it's it's kairos for time, which is conceptual time, not chronos, which is chronological. When he's talking about the time that we are in right now, that it is not, this evil time is a conceptual time, not a chronological thing. You know, we, we often like to take these words and apply it to end times and be like, well, we are in evil days and therefore the end of days is coming and we're going to, you know, that, that's not what this passage was about at all. It was about how just the concepts of what we live in and live around that we need to be in anticipation of something better. 
that these days are evil, whether now or in the future, it's getting worse, right? We could say that about American culture. It's getting worse. And so we need to be urgent in how we preach. We need to be urgent in how we tell others about the gospel. We need to be urgent about how we live differently than the world around us. We should be influencing the world to counter the negative influence. To be the opposite of the status quo that lives around us. Good morning, Carrie. That's not always the case, is it? Sometimes we live li uh, lives that are quiet and complacent. Um, yeah, you know, that was the church in the early days uh, and even the Civil War days. Um, it was in the Civil Rights Movement. And even now, if not careful, we are complacent. We're quiet. We don't speak out or speak into our culture against things like abortion, against things like child abuse, against things like the racial inequalities. We don't speak in and speak out. You know, the second thing is a Christian walk is an informed walk. It's an informed walk. There's no place for ignorance or, or denial without thought, right? That, that's what that meant, that, that idea where he talked about, um, let's see, what word did he use? Understand, uh, do not be foolish. So that, that idea of foolishness was without thought. There's no room for that in the church. Can I tell you, there, there was a study done and, um, um, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, there, there was a study about misinformation and social medias and how there is a generation, so no offense, okay, um, the boomer generation is the largest spreader of misinformation on social medias. Because they see something, kind of read it, and then they share it, and then it's fake news, or it's not real, or it's old news, or and how easily that happens, especially, and I, I don't know, maybe you've seen that in your feeds where somebody posts something, and then it's, uh, yeah, that article is from four years ago, or, you know, it's that type of thing. And that's kind of what this is talking about, is as Christians, that there we shouldn't be ignorant about what's going on around us. We shouldn't be, you know, like hearing the wrong news and hearing misinformation. We should be discerning and seeking God in our Christian walk to be informed about what's going on around us. You know, the church for centuries was dulled. It, it, it ignored and denied abuses that happened. You know, we could say even in the sexual abuses that happened in the Catholic church, that was an example of that. It was the church during the days of, um, what they did to slaves because we labeled slaves as heathens. I, I could show you numerous ways that different denominations, ours came later, so it wasn't in our writings, but in, in earlier ones where we called African-Americans heathens. We called them less than human. And yet we affirmed a constitution that said all were created equal, but all were created equal if they looked like us. And that the church was complicit in that. Church in general. Now, now I, 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 I want to make a definition because I've read a lot of books on this and I, I always pick on them because they don't define. 
because there were a lot of churches that were not complicit, okay? But in a whole, in America, the church didn't inform our way of living to say, no, slavery is wrong. That should not happen. You realize the AME church was founded, so that's our background. The Methodist Episcopal Church is what spread the holiness movement of the Nazarene and the Wesleyans and the Christian Missionary Alliance and all of them. But the we, we helped start the AME denomination. We allowed them to ordain uh, black pastors, but we would not allow them into our councils. We even, there, there were things where we said that they were without the wisdom and the understanding to be able to speak into things of biblical matters for the entire church. I, I mean, that was a quote in one of the Methodist Episcopal meetings as to why they would not allow a AME church to join in with the overall church councils. Um, we woefully became ignorant of the Imagio Dei, that all were created in the image of God. We have to be careful of that. You know, we allow temporal knowledge to be despised, uh, or, or temporal knowledge ought to be despised in light of the knowledge that God gives to us. You know, I love how Wesley used to say, you know, he was a man of one book. He was a man of scripture, but yet he was educated. Good morning, Jan. He was educated in broad strokes of science and other other things. He was fascinated by it. He didn't just read scripture. He read everything, poetry, all kinds of things. But when he said he was a man of one book, because this is what informed his knowledge and was the lens that he looked at everything. He looked at sciences through, he looked at, at historical events through, all through the lens of scripture. But yet we often can do that the other way, can't we? Where we read scripture with the lens of science. Or we read scripture with the lens of our backgrounds. We allow the temporal knowledge to get in the way of reading scripture. One of the things in this too is we like to use words and that, you know, we, we for years really went against yoga and meditation instead of, and, and to the point that we watered down and ignored what real Christian meditation is when you focus and meditate on God and his word. And we made that even a bad word, but this whole culture around us has this idea of uh, contemplation, reflecting, and therefore I can reflect in myself and know, and, and that's not the case at all. We are called to reflect and listen to God's word and be informed in our walk through Christ. It comes from Christ, not from man's intelligence that we are informed. The specific and individual will of God must be understood in light of his general and corporate will. So the specific will of my life has to be informed by my understanding of the plan of God. Think about that. If you've ever gone through, I know somebody right now who is going through some major pains in their life and in their family. And because of some prior pains, they don't want anything to do with God. They blame God for it all. Because they're specific, the will that God had for them overrides God's corporate will. 
We wish that we didn't have to suffer. We wish if, if you're someone who has gone through cancer treatments or any, we wish that that didn't happen to us. But yet when we see that we are just one piece in the plan of God and God can use that for his glory, it doesn't make it easy. But it helps us to understand that just because this is my story, it doesn't mean that God's not still in control. That God still doesn't have his hand on the pulse of the world around us and is in control and can make all things work together for his good. His corporate will is that we be one group, one race, one people. We all bleed the same and therefore we ought to love everyone. There should be no superiority. His will is that all should come to understand his love. Not everyone will. This isn't a everybody goes to heaven speech. That's not biblical. But his will, his desire, is that all see the love of God. Not the brokenness of churches that harm his name. But they see the love of God in and through the body of Christ. So be careful. Be careful when somebody comes claiming a revelation. Be careful when somebody says, hey, I've had a vision and this is what God told me. Because um, Joseph Smith had a vision and it led to the Mormon church. Right? There, there have been numerous times, good morning, Bev, where people have um, gone and lived on a mountaintop because they thought the world was going to end and they wanted to escape the world. And that was from a revelation, supposedly, of God. Be careful that any revelation that somebody comes to you, that it lines up with Scripture and the corporate will of God, not just a will for a people, a race, or even a nation. Because sometimes we read a lot. We Nowhere in Revelations does it say America. And I have heard great end time scholars say that America will be destroyed before the end times. And I've had great end times uh, professors say that, well, America is going to be at the center of it. And they can't even decide because it's written in code and allegory and it's apocryphal. And, and so great individuals have argued over that. So be careful reading in an American mindset that this is how it's going to happen. You know, be careful of somebody who uses revelation to give themselves glory and not God. It's the thing I see with Joseph and the thing I see with Daniel is these ideas that God got the glory, not them. They didn't take glory for, in fact, Joseph, you know, stands before the Pharaoh and he goes, I hear you can interpret my dreams. And he goes, nope, I can't do it. But God can, right? Uh, you know, I mean, you can just imagine Pharaoh getting upset because he probably was being a little cocky at that point going, at least that's the way I read it. You know, maybe I read my personality into it, a little cocky, but he's going, nope, nope, you heard wrong. Sorry, I got cleaned up and brought up here for nothing. I can't interpret your dream. Oh, 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 but, but, but God can, right? You know, I mean, so it's not me, but God can do it. And I'll prove to you, God can do it. And here's the answer. You know, I, he's being a little cocky about that. But anybody who gives a revelation to glorify themselves, 
I really challenge that revelation didn't come from God. Oftentimes, revelations that were given to prophets caused their death because it wasn't what people wanted to hear. It wasn't what their itching ears wanted to hear at the time. You know, the third thing is a wise Christian walk is spirit-filled. It's kind of interesting that he parallels being drunk, drunkenness, with spirit-filled. Drunkenness in, you know, in, inhibits us. It takes away our inhibitions, whereas drunkenness, or, uh, being spirit-filled actually heightens our abilities and our inhibitions. Now, the Pentecost spirit, when, when that fell on the day of Pentecost, they thought people were drunk because of heightened awareness. You know, drunkenness from Genesis to Revelation has been shown as prevalent and destructive. We've seen it in our own cultures. It destroys morally, socially, families, economically. It will it, destroy. You go into an impoverished area and you often see a heightened number of bars or liquor stores because they're drowning their sorrows. Drunkenness uninhibits our will. It leads to excessive talk, excessive spending, excessive violence, excessive wrong, excessive anger. And drunkenness was an issue, especially in that day, because alcohol was used in the worship of the other temples, of the gods around them. Uh, one of them in Ephesus was a god by the name of Bacchus that was the god of, of wine. Because, in fact, in Ephesus, it was brought on by the Romans because the excess of alcohol caused many in the business world of Ephesus to lose their wealth and be more reliant on the working and more reliant on having to raise income. And so the Romans loved it. The Romans put them in place. It was a form of oppression to have all of those, uh, the access to alcohol in Ephesus. And with alcohol and things like that, man is made to seek something outside of themselves. Instead of God, they seek the addictions to fill that hole in their life that they're missing. And we should seek instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we listen to the Holy Spirit's call in our lives and we fill our needs not physically, but spiritually. When we are filled more and more with the Holy Spirit, it allows us to be more abandoned to the will of God, to give in to what He wants and desires for our lives, for His glory, not for ours. You know, the, the last next thing that we see is a, a wise Christian walk is a joyful walk. When you're spirit-filled, you're more joyful. When you understand God's will, you're more joyful. Um, you know, that kind of is written here as twofold. It's it's a mutual benefit to others through the, the Psalms. He mentions the singing to, like with each other. You're singing together. Um, and by the way, uh, worship war here thing, you realize he mentions more than one style of worship. <laughs> uh, you know, the Psalms, which would have been the old style, the hymns, and then the, you know, kind of choruses. You know, he's, he's bringing it all together that we are mutually benefiting 
And then he talks about this glorification of God. So it benefits each other and it benefits our relationship with God as we are joyful and we focus on worship. It's against the kind of the debauchery of our world, the, the idea of seeking joy at the lack of benefit to others, at the expense of others and of glorifying ourselves instead of at the benefit to others and glorifying God. You know, he then says Christian walk is a, thank, uh, a thankful walk. Romans 8, 28, we are to thank God for all things. You know, Paul's speaking about being thankful for what we have. This isn't a walk of expecting a blessing just because God loves us, that we're going to be rich and drive a Mercedes Benz and have a beautiful big house and a perfect family and never have any issues or, no, it's not that. It's to be thankful for what God's given us. Some of the most joyful people I've ever met are living in squalor, are living without windows on their house, are living with dirt floors. And they're the most joyful people because they're able to be thankful for what they have. And then wise Christian walk is socially is a socially considerate walk. It's out of respect of God and understanding the image of God, the imagio Deo, that imagio Dei, that is, in every individual, we are all created in the image of God and respecting one another. It's a reverent fear of God that drives this in our lives. We walk mutually with all believers, whether we like them or not, right? Different personalities. But in God's walk, there is so much room for personality. You know, we walk as wise and not unwise through the light that Christ gives us and the Holy Spirit gives us in our hearts. Um, and wisdom comes as we learn, as we learn more, as we learn to apply. You know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll leave with, I'll end with this. Um, I went to a college at one time that was teaching me to be a youth pastor at a church with a million dollar budget where I'd have a full-time salary, I'd be able to buy material, all that type of stuff, didn't have to create anything on my own. And it was unrealistic. And I transferred to a college that basically from the outset, the professor even stood up and said this, I am teaching you to be at a church where you will never be paid, you will always be volunteer, you'll never be able to afford a curriculum, you're always going to have to write your own, you're going to have to come up with your own games, and so let's teach you how to do that. That is more applicable to anything. That's the application of wisdom, of knowledge, teaching me and then teaching me how to apply it. It was the same thing in my seminary classes. Everything had to apply to a current context of ministry. You couldn't just write a paper and say, well, this is, this is how our loving God is loving. No, you had to be able to apply it in your own life and learn. That's how we grow in wisdom. When we take these stories, we take the examples, we take everything that we read in Scripture, and we learn that Paul's not just talking to a church in Ephesus and teaching them how to walk. He's teaching us how we can walk. Worthy. Walk a life of holiness. Walk a life that we realize, I do not have it all together. I am not the most perfect one at this. I mess up. I get mad at my kids sometimes. I yell at my kids sometimes. I'm impatient sometimes. I'm not always patient, kind, gentle. I, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not 
Jesus. But I can 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 continue to peel back the layers of the onion to grow to be more like Christ. And that's the walk that we lead. Because then in humility and in meekness and long-suffering, we learn to grow. We learn to love him more. And we learn to become more loving and lovable to those around us. So God, I just pray you would work in our lives today. Speak to us. Help us to walk in wisdom that only comes from you. Not just knowledge and being unwise of the things around the world, but God, that we would be wise. We would learn how to discern things through the Holy Spirit. We would learn to go to you and go to your word when we're seeking to, to make decisions or give advice. That it would always be in a way that gives you glory and doesn't give us glory. So God, renew us, work in us, we pray. And we'll give you all the glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace and have a great rest of the afternoon.